This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today, Michelle? Doing good. Do you do you want to tell us what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about sibling relationships. This is tough because we're sisters. We're oh, siblings. Oh, that's true. We could get in a fight right now. It, it might happen. <laughs> we haven't fought in many, many years. We could, though, just for the podcast. Do you think we'd get more ratings and, you know, more <laughs> We don't care about ratings. It oh, won't matter. we don't care. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about... You know, bullying, kids working together on projects, fighting, competitiveness, uh, fair parenting, taking turns, giving each other the floor, you know, listening to one another, that kind of stuff. And we have some experience with this because we come from a family of six kids. Yeah. There were six of us. And then Karen has four children and I have six children. So we definitely... they're they're normal children. Yeah, they're they're not... (laughs) perfect. No, they do fight. Um, I don't think there's a family out there who doesn't sometimes deal with sibling relationship problems. It's just part of being a family, I think. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you're living with someone, you're going to have issues with them. I don't care who it is. I don't care how much you love them. You're still going to have issues with them because you're living right there on top of each other, you know, but I think that as a parent, you really have a lot of power to set the tone in your home and whether it is a combative, angry, angsty environment, angsty kind of environment, or if it is a pleasant, cooperative, respectful, respectful kind of environment. Yeah. A definite rule that we have in our home is we don't tolerate bullying. Like When you're just being mean for the sake of being mean... I am not okay with that. No. I I will admit, our family loves to tease. <laughs> our kids always say, like, we love a good roast. Like, we will tease <laughs> each other about silly things. Like, for example, my one daughter, she hiccups, and it's so loud, it's, like, painful to her. <laughs> and we can't help but roast her a little and laugh. We're like, uh-oh, she's going to die. She's going to die from her hiccups. You know, we tease like that. That's different than actually hurtful bullying. Because well, she's laughing too. That That's the thing. Like sometimes you think you're teasing, but your target doesn't feel like it's teasing. Yeah. And that's the line to me. Like, is the target okay with it? Because if they're not, then it's not funny. Yeah. If not everyone's laughing, then that's bullying. Yeah. And it kind of depends on the person. Yeah. You need to be respectful and aware of it. I, if my kids are picking on each other like I just I just go oh no you don't we are not doing that that is behavior is completely unacceptable that's one of the phrases that I use we don't do that in our family like I always say we not like you're in trouble but we don't do that that's not what we believe not part of our family culture we do not believe in that that is unacceptable behavior Mm -hmm. I think you know you can't change someone's personality you can't change the 
their temperament or their inclinations, but you can change their behavior. <laughs> As a parent, you have a lot of power to mold the behavior of your children. What is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable. And that doesn't mean that 100% of the time they're going to behave the way you want. No. But when they don't, you can be consistent with letting them know what the expectations are. So I think that if you have zero bullying, that goes a whole long way towards a peaceful home. Oh, yeah, definitely. And a peaceful homeschool, too. Oh, yeah. One of the things that happens in our homeschool is that our kids are expected to work together a lot. And if you remember, you know, if you were public schooled like we were. The group project. They were dreaded. They were horrible. They were awful, right? They were awful. Well, everything in our homeschool is a group project. I have never heard anyone speak with praise about group projects. No, no one it ever. was just like the bad experience of school. It was awful. Awful. <laughs> and yet here we wrote this family style curriculum where everything is a group project. The only way it works is to work out the sibling conflicts. You can't have bullying and fighting in the middle of a group project or there's no learning happening. Oh, no. No, there is none. So I think that a good way to help kids learn to work together on projects, first of all, obviously you don't allow them to fight in the middle of the project. Somebody starts getting touchy and you're like, oh no, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. But also just you have them work on group projects. Like you have to practice it. What what do you do, Karen? Like when you're teaching them how to work together? Well, when they start out, one of the things that I have to do with my kids, because I think more than your kids, mine are competitive. Yeah, like, mine are mine really aren't. They're more they're more lazy. But but yours yours, yours would be more likely to try to get out of doing some of the work. Mine are more likely to argue over which part they get to do. Yeah. So we that's have like true. opposite personality types in our two yeah. families. So mine would be like, No, I get to do the section on the pyramids, you are doing the Sphinx. No, I'm doing the pyramid. You're, you know, that's where the conflict would happen in my family. And so I found that in my family, I have to be the one to kind of say, this is your section and this is your section and this is your section. Or maybe we have a different system like draw sticks or, you know, whatever it is. But I kind of have to negotiate some of that. And I don't love that I have to do that, but I recognize that is a weakness of my very competitive, very driven kids. And so I have to kind of counteract it by preventing that conflict before it starts. Now, it's different for your family. Yeah, but you have to know what they're going to do. And as a parent, you do know. You you just learn it. You almost feel like a prophet sometimes. This is going to (laughs) happen. I (laughs) I can foresee this going downhill. (laughs) Let's nip it in the bud before. Yeah. Yeah. And so in your mind, you need to have already planned out, what will I do when this happens? You know, and you think of strategies yourself. Or you can have your kids also help you come up with strategies. Okay, when we do group projects... When we're making this poster together, I already know that this is going to happen. How are you guys going to handle it? And you have them help problem solve. Yeah. Yeah. But however it's going to happen, you know the temperament of your kids and you need to be prepared to kind of help the sibling relationships to be stronger, not torn down by each other. In my family, again, we don't really have the competitiveness, but I do have a couple of assertive children and they will boss the others around and tell them what they do. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I have to say, now, wait a minute. Why are you in charge? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and, and I'll stop and my more uh, mild children, I'll tell them, is that really what you want to do? Like I'll ask them, I'll specifically address them just because he told you to do it doesn't mean you have to do it. And I, I'm helping them to be more assertive 
so that their voice is heard and helping the others to realize, oh, maybe bossing people around isn't nice. You know? Yeah. In general, I don't like to be super hands-on in these things. I like to be able to set my kids to work and then stand back and let them do kind of the negotiations and work things out and make assignments and do the project. I don't want to be dictating the whole thing because I don't think they grow from that as much. But at the same time, if you know you have kids with certain tendencies, sometimes you have to be prepared for it and kind of counteract well, it. Well, and like any other training that happens in and when you're parenting children, they learn and you have to interfere less and less and less. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my kids now, there's only two of them left in homeschool this year. That is so weird to me. But anyway, <laughs> there's only two left in our homeschool now. And I don't have to interfere at all. I mean, they, if I tell them, hey, you're going to color this map together, like we have a big wall size map that we're doing. They just do it. I don't have any problems. Harrison has grown more assertive. Garrett has grown more compassionate. And we don't have the issues that we used to have. Yeah. And those two have become really close friends over your years of training them to be compassionate and assertive, you know. Right. And so that helps too is you practice these group projects and the sibling relationships and they get better and better at it. They become more aware. I think it's also good for them to have times when obviously not during school so much, but when they're completely no adults involved in their group project and they're doing it on their own. For example, they're building a fort or they're playing make-believe together. Yeah, especially they're, when it's not like the game. there's not a deadline, there's not a due date, there's not any no parent, requirements. No parent assigned it. Right. There's, they're just they're, cooperating. They're just, basically, they're playing mm -hmm. and they're working on something together. They're doing something collaboratively and they have to get along somehow and there's no adult policing it, they have to just practice that. Yeah. But, you know, beforehand, through the course of family life, you have taught them, don't bully people, don't boss people, you need to stand up for yourself. You know, like you've taught mm -hmm. them all these different skills according to the needs of your children so that they have the tools to, yeah, to they, handle it. Yeah, they get better at it. Yeah. They definitely get better at it. One of the things that I've found I have to train my kids in, and now they're really good at it, but when they were little, I had to remind them that we don't tear each other down, we build each other up. So one of the things we always do is compliment each other's work. We kind of give kudos and applause and things like that for all kinds of schoolwork, projects, anything that we're yeah, doing. And that has to be taught. Yeah. I, I have one son who was born without a filter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he will say things and he, it just comes out of his mouth and he's not meaning anything mean by it, but it's definitely mean. But he just doesn't... He just says it because he believes it's true. Well, and he doesn't hear it the way it sounds to other people, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's thinking it means one thing and really everyone else perceives it this other way. And so I've had to like pull him aside and say, you just told your brother that he's stupid. Is that what you meant to say to him? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is what you said and this is what it means. And he's like, oh, and he's upset with himself, you know, because he didn't mean to do it. But he I, didn't I've, think I've through. Had to, I've had to teach him how to talk to people so that they're not being put down by his non-filtered mouth. Yeah. I think for my kids, a lot of it is in the same way that you teach them to say please and thank you or excuse me or, you know, those common courtesy words that we mm -hmm. use to be polite. I've had to teach them when someone presents something, you say what they did well. Yeah. And you clap. You clap. You clap. You get excited for them. Even if you didn't love all of it, you find what you did love. Yeah. Well. And you give them kudos. I think human beings naturally 
look for the flaws in others, maybe so we can build ourselves up, maybe because we're always comparing ourselves to other people. But I think it's natural for us to look for the flaws. And if you can train your children to look for the good things in people, they'll be happier people their entire lives. Yeah. And they'll be surrounded by happier people because they're spreading happiness. You know, it's like, it's just a better way to live. I know one of the perils of being competitive is that like you think that in order to win, everyone else has to lose. Right. Right. But I mean, one of the things that we do as a family that is just really fun, this isn't really homeschool, but it's, you know, part of our home. We love doing cupcake wars. Do you guys ever do like cooking competitions no. or things like that? You've told me about that. Yeah. This so I, we just did cupcake wars last night, in fact. Oh, wow. And we the had. Tradition continues. Yeah. We had a couple of teams and then I was a judge and then one of my sons was a judge and then other, other kids made up the teams. And I loved that my, this is my youngest son who was a, on the judging panel with me. He proceeded to say all of the things that he loved. Like that was an amazingly delicious cupcake. The filling was exquisite. He was just describing this stuff, you know? And I thought he is well-trained in making them feel good, you know? Even if they lose. And right? Yeah. So both teams yeah. received tons and tons of compliments. And then, yeah, we chose one winner, but both teams, I mean, honestly, they did both do really, really well, but he's learned the art of the compliment. And I, I love that. Like that's an important part of sibling relationships is not tearing each other down, but building each other up. Okay. But your kids do fight, right? They do. I wish they didn't. Mine don't fight much. I, I, they're normal though. It's that I've trained them to not fight. So it took years and years of teaching them you don't need to do that to people. You know, you don't need to behave that way. You don't need to react emotionally like that. You can step back and mine hardly ever fight. I don't think, I mean, mine don't fight like physically fight. They would have when they were little, but I'm really, really strict on that. Like I do not believe anyone should hit anyone else for any reason ever. You know, I'm, that was one thing that I was, no, that's a no. That was, that was a firm line. Yeah. Um, but mine are, intense debaters they love a good argument and I can't blame them because their mother loves a good argument like I am kind of the same like if you put me in a debate class I'm really really happy like I'm so excited I love it I like debate too but I think I think debating something and fighting are different the the difference what happens is when it becomes emotionally heated that's when I call it a fight I, I think when someone is feeling like they're person is being attacked rather than their idea. I think that's like if they start feeling like my intelligence or my worth as a human being is being attacked, that's when it becomes a fight. Yeah. I mean, sometimes ours are not academic issues. It's like, you know, what should we have for dinner? And then they're all stating their reasons. Like mine are debaters. They will debate till the death. Okay. Like, mine, mine, mine do not care about that kind of stuff. I have, I have very laid back children. I blame their father. <laughs> he is very laid back. He's very laid back. It can be a good and quality though. It can be a really good quality, but they, they tend to be like, they, they would never fight over what's for dinner. Well, like if I leave I mean, it I have up, to like, pull their opinions out of them. See, and I'll say, what do you guys want for dinner? And then if one wants pizza and the other wants macaroni, that's when it starts. Like, I shouldn't have even asked. I should have just decided, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but instead, like, that's where our fights will stem from is, like, a debate turned heated. Ugly. It gets ugly. <laughs> because somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's, I don't know. Our fights kind of stem from those things. And I have to help my kids kind of work through the emotions when they get into it with each other. 
I have to teach them like, hey, this is not life and death. This, this is dinner, you know, yeah. or this, whatever it is. Yeah. It's we have to kind of put things in perspective sometimes. When my kids were younger, they did fight more often. Like I said, I've trained them so that they don't. Like fight over toys or fight over. Yes, yeah. or, or who knows what, right? Kids kids fight over really stupid stuff that you're like, really? Really? Yeah. You're fighting because he was sitting on your blanket? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like they fight over crazy things. But I think one of the keys to resolving a fight is that the parent must listen to both sides, like really listen. Mm-hmm. Don't make a snap judgment about who's at fault here. There's a high, high percentage that both people are at fault. In fact, almost always both people are at fault. Well, when you listen to one side, you feel like they're definitely right. And then you listen to the other side and you feel like they're definitely right. And then you realize they're not, they're both wrong. M- yeah. Most of the time when my kids would fight, they both parties were all parties, depending on how they're many They're just telling were. one side. But yeah, but they were all in trouble. Like I made everybody get in trouble. Like you're all in trouble. And if, if somebody hit the other one, then I'd be like, well, you've already had your punishment. You as the hitter, <laughs> now you're in trouble. Yeah. But I kind of let them know you provoked it and you got hit in a way you deserved it. You know, it was like, don't do that. Don't do the provoking side in the first place. Well, I'm a big believer in... As I'm talking my kids through fights, I want them to understand the other person's point of view. I want them to feel compassion for the other party. I want them to yeah. understand what how they hurt that person. Because I think in the long run, that's what helps us to stop fighting when we think about others instead of ourselves. Yeah. And so that's my long-term goal for my kids. It's not always easy in the moment because they're mad. Well, and don't you think it's really, really easy as the parent to be dragged into those emotions? Oh, yeah. Like, as a parent, you get frustrated and mad. You probably just got interrupted from doing something that you were doing. Yeah. And you probably don't want to deal with the extra hassle of the fight. And you probably are already tired and have a baby on your hip. And who knows what, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, it's easy for the parent to get dragged into the emotions and get upset with the children. But that is the worst possible thing you can do. Well, I think one of the things that I have to do in those scenarios, if my kids are fighting, basically everyone needs a timeout. Not because like... It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. We just need a minute to cool off. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've often... Well, not often. Occasionally, I've been like, everybody go to their rooms. And that means me too. Yeah. Like we all need to go to go, our rooms. Go cool off. Think about it a little bit and then we'll come back and talk because having the conversation immediately just creates more fighting. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I will interview them each independently and we talk about what they were feeling, what they think maybe the other person was feeling and what their actions caused. And that's like what you were saying. You're working them through the emotions. You're teaching them compassion. Yeah. You're helping them to change the entire pattern, not just end the one fight. Yeah. Yeah. They, they need to learn to see things from others' perspectives, not just this time, but all the time, things like that. I think one of the things, Michelle, that creates fights is when you have um, resentment between your kids. Like they feel like, I guess everyone sometimes feels like life's not fair. Cause it's it, just cause not it, fair. Because it isn't. Really, yeah. life isn't. So what do you do as a mom to try to be fair? Like how do you do that? Well... I mean, I think the listening to both sides in an argument is a big deal, but it goes way beyond just listening to two sides in an argument. You need to be equal in your treatment of all your kids. 
consistently. Like, which, which is actually hard when you have a lot of kids. It is hard. And, and one of the hardest things is that they don't all have the same needs. Yeah. You know, so like, for example, if I'm trying to be fair and equal in punishment, I can't actually give them the same punishments because... They all have different accountability. Well, d- one kid responds to one form of punishment and one kid responds to a different form of punishment. Mm-hmm. How come you sent him to his room and not her? You know, like, yeah. why do I have to do that? Because you respond to having to clean up the toilet, but he responds to alone time. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what is working for you. You know, that's why you do different punishments. So it can appear to your kids like you're not being fair, but you need to take the time to explain to them how it is fair. Yeah. But you need to be careful to have equal chores. You shouldn't have one child who's always doing one chore and one child who is the lazy one who gets off the hook all the time. Yeah, we have to rotate around our chores. Everyone does all of the chores and it's just a rotation. Whose turn is it to do what? You might have a child who is really good at cooking and it's tempting to have them always be in charge of the dinner helper or in charge of the lunch or whatever, but that's a mistake. You need to have them rotate through. First of all, the others aren't learning to do it. Yeah. And... Secondly, you really do need to have the equal chore thing happening. The one they child, all need to learn all of the it. The one child who ends up doing the cooking all the time starts to resent it and they start to hate the cooking because they look at the others and like, why don't they ever have to do this? You know, even if it is their favorite thing, it was their favorite thing, but now it's not. Well, and some of the things are not favorite things yeah. at all. Like I, I have to clean the toilets every time and he who never has that? to. Yeah. Actually, when they were little, that was my favorite punishment for when they were fighting. You always made your boys go clean the oh, toilets. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, when you've got six boys, it's always dirty. So there it is available. <laughs> Their timeout was go clean the toilet go and clean then the we'll toilet, talk about and it. And then we'll talk about it. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I'd be like, she's brilliant. She gets all of her toilets cleaned. Yeah. The toilet was, well, I, I can't say it was clean. We had six boys, but it was cleaned more often. It was cleaned. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not always clean, but cleaned. Right. Yeah. I definitely think that you have to be very aware of making sure that all of your kids get one-on-one time with you. Like that's hard when you have a lot of kids. It is really hard. Well, and it's hard when you're a homeschool mom. Yeah. You're, you feel like you're with them all the time. So do I have more time? And and do I really have to spend one-on-one time? You really kind of do. You do. One of the simple things that I do is I tuck my kids in at night and it's, tiny it's a five minute thing but for five minutes I lay on their bed and just let them talk my ear off I just let them talk and that just tiny five minutes makes them feel heard yeah and I don't know it's been really valuable in my family I do nights with my kids I don't know how I got that name we just call it a night mom can we have a night and it means that we're gonna go and get some hot cocoa and a snack and and play a game together Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, never more than a half an hour. And I don't do it with every kid every night because I have six. So they might get it once every other week. Mm-hmm. But it was special. And they all still remember it. They all cherish that. Yeah. From when they were little. We take our kids on individual outings sometimes too. Like both mom and dad. Like mom will take you or dad will take you. Like, hey, you get to go have breakfast with dad and mm-hmm. dad will take him out to a restaurant. Or, you know, we just like having those little times. And you need to make sure that those are kind of equitable Right. You know, you, one you person doesn't always get to go out to breakfast. You can't always take, like, oh, only the boys get to go fishing, or oh, only the girls get to go shopping with mom, or, you know, it, it needs to be equitable in some way. And that's going to look different depending on your family. I mean, maybe your girl really doesn't want to go fishing. That's fine. But don't just... But they need their outing. They, they need... need their outing, and, and you need to make sure that you're not pigeonholing them. And mm-hmm. saying, well, I'm sure that she wouldn't like this, or I'm sure he wouldn't like this. And, you know, you need to make sure that you're looking at your child and going, 
How can I make them feel special? Well, it's kind of the same thing that you said about punishments. Like not every punishment is going to be the same for all of your kids because they all have different needs. Yeah. Same thing with one-on-one time. Like you have to look at it and ask them, Yeah. you know, what, what they would like, but make sure they get their time. Uh, well, and the same thing is true of parties, presents, special gifts, uh, time with relatives maybe if even if like kid got to spend the night with grandma then the other one should too at some point you know yeah even like the sports and clubs and things like if one kid is in everything and so you don't have time for the other kid that's not that's not gonna okay. work yeah. like what the way I handled that with, with six kids is that I told them you can each choose one sport a year mm-hmm. and some of them they got to pick so they could have all been in one season but they weren't like some of them wanted to do basketball and some wanted to do soccer so those are different seasons so at one time of the year only one or two were in soccer but then at a different time of the year other ones were but that year was that equitable year they all got equitable. their one yeah. thing yeah so how does your family do christmas presents we do it different every year i can never decide what the best way is sometimes i have each child buy each other child a gift that's what I do. And but other times I just buy them all. But but it's always I spend roughly the same amount of money and I give them roughly the same number of gifts. I try to keep it even and equitable, but obviously they're not the same presents because they're different kids, yeah. you know. We do it so that each person in our family gets each other person a present. So they end up with the same number, yeah. you know, and they've picked them. Like I take we actually have outings, so like I'll take Isabel out for that evening and she's going to do her shopping for all of the other people. That's what you did last year. And I'll tell you what was funny. I pay for the presents, right? They, they're buying them for their sibling, but I pay for them. That's what we do too. (laughs) But, but last year they all brought their money unbidden and went and were like, no, 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 mom, I'm paying for this. Like they wanted to give their brother a gift that was really from them. How mature. I thought so. Yeah. That's, that's very thoughtful and cool. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I would have done it at their age. <laughs> no, but it's awesome. Yeah. Like we sometimes do homemade gifts too, which is totally fine. Like you're giving a gift. It's not always the exact, mm-hmm. you know, same thing, but I don't like Christmas morning to roll around and one person's got, you know, 10 presents and one person's got three. I want it to be, you know, pretty even feeling yeah. when we do it. Yeah. So yeah, we, I, I don't want there to be rivalry among my kids. So we try really hard to make sure that they all get their attention and their one-on-one time and, and feel like things are Yeah, because equal. if you think the kid won't notice, you're wrong. They do. They, would they will notice. absolutely notice. They might never say anything to you, but they will notice and it will, it will impact their self-esteem and it will impact their relationship with their brother or sister. Yeah. One of the things that I've tried to teach my kids in the same way that they don't want to be overlooked, I try to teach them to walk into a room and find the person who feels overlooked. Like, for example, if standing by themselves, yeah, if they go on, on a team, you can go with the group or you can go find that one who's kind of standing by the wall looking lonely, you know? And so I've kind of tried to teach my kids, you go find that person and be their person. And pretty soon everybody's with the group probably, you know, but I do that for my kids. Like I find the one who needs me at the moment, who's sad or who's lonely And I kind of try to teach them that same thing. Like, go find that one. Because I found when they are helping someone, they kind of forget themselves. And one of the problems with siblings and other friendships, these relationships are that we see things from our own perspective. And we get all caught up in ourselves. And that's a natural human tendency. But when they can learn to be compassionate for other people, it's amazing how it changes them. 
I think that when they see other people as people instead of just really honestly they see themselves and then everybody else is just everybody else right right but when they can see people as individuals with the same acute feelings that they have and the same thoughts and you know the, the same range of talents and everything else that they have then I think that that tends to reduce selfishness they want to share things with others they want to be I mean, if you don't feel like you have to protect yourself constantly, mm-hmm. then you can be more open and free with sharing things. If you see other people in a compassionate way, I think that that need to protect yourself from everyone else is reduced. Yeah. Know? And even when it comes back to like the group project in school that we're talking about, if they can kind of get past themselves and see the other people, even though it's their brothers and sisters, you know, see them and go, you know what? You really would be good at drawing the pyramids. You know, yeah. like find find the talents and find the skills and see the value in each other and point it out. That's an amazing quality that kids can develop. It's not instant. It no. takes some time well, for and, them to develop and that. And it's not going to be like a simple linear progression either. No. I mean, they they will be doing good at it on one project and then the next project it's terrible, you know, so. But it is awesome when you see it to latch on and like super compliment them because all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I did a good thing like that. It's way more effective to catch them doing the right thing than to catch them doing the wrong thing and punish, like see the good and praise. Sometimes you have to see the bad and punish, but if you can see the good praise it for sure. Yeah. And actually that's a skill that parents should be practicing because it does not come naturally. No, we tend to think, Oh, you're doing good. That's just what's expected. We ignore it because it's like, oh, you're doing the right thing. Right. And we only call attention to the wrong things. It's just like people don't notice your house that you've cleaned it, but they do notice if you haven't. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> we used to walk around um, our neighborhood when we lived in the neighborhood. And there was this one guy in particular who was an immaculate gardener. Like his yard was gorgeous. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he'd tell us that people would always walk by and compliment his yard. And they would say things about like... Oh, he just, he's so lucky. He has a beautiful garden, yeah. you know? And it's like, like that is just not fell luck. Out of the sky. <laughs> he is out there working in his garden every single day. He's putting in all of the time, all of the work, all of the money. You know, he made that what it is. Uh-huh. But we think that that like is a natural occurrence. It's not. <laughs> no. So when, when you see the beautiful things in your kids, that's not a natural occurrence. That's amazing. Compliment it, yeah. praise it, notice it. And then they're more motivated to continue to, you know, cultivate those things. Let's talk about taking turns. I don't know about you, Karen, but my kids have occasionally not wanted to let other people have their moment. They wanted to hog whatever it was. You know, they want to hog the time. They want to hog the ride on the the tube behind the boat. They want to hog Uh, whatever. (laughs) Well, I think that's also just natural human nature. I think so too. We just do that. But it's really interesting if you actually use a timer for things, kids cannot believe that their five minutes is the same as another person's yes. five minutes. Like, <laughs> I, I think with taking turns, often timers are really valuable. And sometimes the taking turns is just like, even in a conversation, oh, like, yeah. hey, we take turns talking. We don't just overstep each other. No, And when you're not talking, you're listening. But it's also taking turns with a toy, taking turns on the group project, taking turns happens all over. And we have to teach our kids not to be just selfish 
with their yeah, time or, or to, you know, bulldoze over other people, especially I think younger children and quieter children often get bulldozed. Yeah. And your more assertive children need to be actively taught to look for that and to pay attention to it and to try to not do it. You know, yeah. to, give them the floor to draw people out. Well, give them the floor and then give them an extra minute because sometimes the quieter ones like have to endure the silence a little bit before they'll actually start talking. Yeah. And that has to be okay. It has to be okay to be, hey, it's her turn. We're just going to wait until she says her thing or does her thing. But it really is something that you have to point out to your kids that they need to be considerate about it because it's someone else's turn. And I don't, it, it sounds like we're constantly like interjecting, but I actually am kind of hands off in a lot of this stuff. Are, are you like... The, yeah, the only time... Typically, I have to correct something once or twice. If you do it in a firm way, where you're like, this is what you did, and I don't ever want to see you do it again, then that's it. You're done. And then it doesn't crop up again. They they get the lesson. They get the point. You don't have to keep doing this forever and ever. Well, and I sometimes think that if I fall into the trap of overparenting, like constantly talking and interjecting and telling them what to do, they stop listening to me. But if it's an occasional, very pointed remark they're like oh mom means it yeah you know that's true yeah so and and yeah some things some things you can let go too I mean sometimes you need to let kids work out their own problems that's really important that they figure it out you know one of the things that I've done I mentioned that I go into my kids at bedtime and just talk to them for a couple of minutes one of the things I've done is say hey did you notice today when you were interrupting Isabel during our science lesson she was really sad. Like she had some good ideas that she wanted to share and you really didn't let her say them. All those hours later and separated, kids can go, oh, you know. Did I do that? And, and usually they don't realize they did it. Yeah. And I'm not coming down super hard. I'm just saying, hey, maybe tomorrow make an extra effort to really listen to her and give her the floor a little bit. Yeah. Or I mean, you can even do it. They don't have to have been in trouble for something. No. You can you can just say to them, you know, I've noticed that Harrison never wants to comment during our discussions because he's kind of quiet. I wonder if you could help me. Could you kind of draw him out and ask him his opinion tomorrow, yeah. you know, during the lesson? Yeah. Let them be part of like a team with you. Yeah. 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 So I sometimes think that we jump in too fast. There are certain things, like we said, bullying physical yeah. hurting, or, I or jump in verbal, instantly. If somebody's being verbally abused, yeah, I'm if like, oh no. If there's bullying or abuse happening, I jump in right then at that moment. Yeah. I don't put up with it. That is not what our family does. Yeah. We do not allow it. But a lot of other things can kind of be more valuable when you step back, let things happen, and then later say, you know what? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Often I do that one-on-one -on -one with my kids because I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to make a big show of it. Or often the one who was being made to feel bad will feel even worse if you do it publicly yeah. in front of everyone, you know? Yeah. So instead I just take those little moments with my instead, kids. Instead of it just being embarrassing, it becomes mortifying. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh no, everyone noticed that. <laughs> even though it's just your family, it's yeah. still, often the things that we're teased about are our greatest weaknesses. Yeah. And so they're the things that we already feel vulnerable in. And so it can be hard when those vulnerabilities are just highlighted. But overall, little by little, what you're teaching is for your kids to be unselfish and thoughtful of others. And so yes. if you can really find small ways to constantly remind them that other people matter 
and that they can make a difference with their words and their actions. And they can either have a really positive influence or a negative influence. You know, my kids are mostly grown now. I've got two teenagers, well, three teenagers and three that are in their 20s. And, you know, four of them are adults moved out of the house. And they are such good friends. Yeah. They are great friends. They want to spend time together. They go and hang out with each other and play games together. They work on projects together. They're constantly helping Nathan, who is the oldest, work on his cars or other things around his house. Mm -hmm. And I don't orchestrate any of that. That is completely on them. And I think the reason is because I didn't put up with fighting. I didn't put up with belittling. I made sure that they all felt secure and happy in who they were as individuals. And that you, allowed them to. You taught fun. them, you taught them to do group projects when they were little. So now they do group right. projects for fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, they do. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> we, we found the joy in the group projects. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really can be an awesome part of your family school. That's actually one of the things that we love about homeschooling is that it's made a difference, not just in their, you know, education in the way that you think of, you know, the scholarly part of right. education, but it's made a difference in their character. They've really learned oh, yeah. how to be good family members and citizens and how to be unselfish and care for others. I think it's been enormously impactful in that regard. Homeschooling the kids was yeah. a good decision. Even if they had learned nothing else, the fact that they are such good people now is really just priceless. Yeah. And along the way, they learn a ton. So best of both worlds, you know, you, you're getting all of the academics and it's funny because exactly what we're talking about is socialization. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. That's socialization. People are so worried about homeschooled kids not being socialized. But what we're telling you is that every single day with your kids, you are socializing them. Yeah. They're having interactions with each other. They're learning how to do the group project. They're learning to be compassionate and how to have strong relationships with their siblings and you have a lot to do with that as the parent. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.